What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, BJ Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. I'm your host, BJ Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. And today I have a gentleman, uh, we're, we're crossing over a little bit, we're a uh, Branching outside of the Tennessee area, and I have asked a gentleman that I've connected over the uh, social media. Now we're going to sit and chat via video. Uh, Mr. Jim Huntoon, golf course superintendent at Heritage Club in Polly's Island, South Carolina. How you doing, sir? Doing well, DJ. Glad to be here. I appreciate you doing this, man. We've uh, sort of connected a little bit uh, over social media, which is a great thing these days, and uh, wanted to have you on. And uh, I know you're doing some great things over in the Carolinas, so I Wanted to talk about that and some of the things that uh, you got going on over there. Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts, not yep. every single one in your catalog, but most of them I have listened. Yep. Well, I know you're a fan of the podcast. You're doing some stuff over there with the guys at Pulling Weeds and stuff. How how involved are you? Just kind of on the sideline with them, or what are you doing with them? Um, I'm on the board of directors of the Carolinas okay. the Golf Course Superintendents Association. Um, I'm the chairman of the social media committee, so obviously pulling weeds falls under that. Right. Um, I'm um, involved with it. Uh, I've hosted one small one and done some other voiceover work for it. Right. Do some behind the scenes stuff. Um, working with Alan Knight and Tim Krieger, who are on the our host. Um, mm-hmm. But really, more of a, just kind of a contributor. Right. Um, and. Um, just do whatever it takes to um, help them out. Right. How do you how do you enjoy the uh, podcast world? I, I I got into it and I'm having a lot of fun with it, and it's uh, been fun to connect with some guys, especially in our area. But uh, how how are you enjoying it? I love the the medium in general. Yeah. You know, I've really uh, have taken to it the last three or four years. I kind of got into it. Um, I'm a Iowa State graduate. Yep. Love Iowa State athletics, and that was really my introduction podcasting is listening to various podcasts um, about Iowa State athletics living down here in the Carolinas it's not as easy to get that information so kind of got into it with that and then started branching out into the the turf world with it and uh, have really enjoyed uh, learning and meeting people and hearing people's stories I love all of it yeah well that's cool um it's one of those things that it's really been a, uh, something that I fell into was connecting with people. We, we as golf course superintendents, a lot of times we stay in our own little world and we don't get to get out and talk to people. And this was a way one that I was kind of trying to figure out how to fit into this whole deal, but also allowed me to connect with, uh, with people that I may not know a whole lot about or uh, wouldn't normally just sit down with for a while. And so I think it's been a great thing. I've had a lot of positive response to it. And uh, I know, 
it's uh you know in our world we don't we don't get to always share our stories we kind of are in, in the background so to speak so it's been fun to connect with guys and look here I'm sitting here talking to you and then that's how it works out <laughs> yeah it's it's really cool you know um kind of you can encompass everything social media yep. in that regard and um yeah it's just uh I think podcasts listening to podcasts fits in well with being a turf manager obviously there's a lot of time when you're out there doing things when you can pop in your headphones and and just um listen and help pass the time yeah well what do you think about being on the other side of it and being the interview e it's i i'm fine with it you know it's um i enjoy it yeah. it's uh i've done it four or five times now sure. so in different um um capacities i guess but yep. uh you know i i look at it like i've really enjoyed listening to so many other people and right. if i can give back a little bit and give some you know, quality entertainment to somebody. Great. I'm all for it. That's awesome. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about how you, well, first of all, let me, how's everything kind of in this little weird time that we're going in and we're living in, how's things over in your neck of the woods and how you dealing with all that? Uh, deal personally dealing with it fine. Yeah. Um, it's been really tough for those of us over here in the Carolinas that are in the resort end of the business because you know last couple of weeks of march april may is really our prime time right and to lose all that revenue has impacted us um quickly and directly right you know i'm probably we've lost obviously tons of bookings you know my golf course is very busy we do sixty thousand rounds a year wow. you know this this time of year bj we'd be doing 275 dollars a day so we would be really jamming, right. and um, that's all gone now. And are y'all open? Are you? Yes, we are open. Yeah. we are open. Um, thankfully, we do have some members, and we do get some decent local play. Sure. Um, so we've gone from doing two seventy five ish to averaging about a hundred a day. Yeah, that's, so that's big. It's a big difference, and yeah. you know those hundred that are playing are maybe you know we're paying. 30 to 40 cents on the dollar compared to what the greens fees would be with the out of town guests, you yeah. know, the package golfers as, as we like to call it here at, at the, in the Myrtle beach area. Yeah. How's uh staff wise and everything you guys working? You split. Uh, I know a lot of people are doing a lot of different things, trying to be creative with everything or how, how's things with you? It's been tough BJ. I won't lie to you. I've yep. had to lay people off. I've yeah. had to, um, I had a pretty large, part-time staff sure you know some, some of them have just chosen to not work a couple have chosen to maybe do unemployment and then i've had to lay off some full-timers I've, normally this time of year i'd run about 600 man hours a week at yeah. my facility right now i'm trying to manage it more at like 320 right 340 right. so that's that's a big change yep. but i will say you know not having the volume of play helps facilitate getting things done a little bit easier. You know, part of why I run so many man hours this time of year is just because I am so busy. If we don't get it done ahead of play, it's very difficult to get it done, you know, right. mowing For and sure. stuff like that. But um, it's been tough, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I won't lie to you. It's uh, been something that, you know, obviously everybody's going through challenges, but yeah. this is just another one. 
do you get to speak with uh, other local superintendents and clubs and just kind of what they're dealing with is, I mean, I, you're not, you're right. I mean, you're not in, you're not alone in this, but at the same time, I'm sure that there are other people that are maybe even closed full time or whatever. Do you get to talk to those guys? I do BJ. I talk to a lot of superintendents every day, yeah. you know, um, some local, some old friends, some new acquaintances that yeah. I've met through social media or different things. But um, I reach out and, and have others that reach out to me quite a bit. I, to me, that's one of the best ways of dealing with all this. And right. Even in the best of times, I think it's very important to yep. stay connected with fellow superintendents or turf managers and just um, bounce ideas off of each other. I'm very fortunate in that regard. I've got a lot of really good colleagues and a lot of people that um, I can reach out to and do reach out to. Yeah. So, Well, well I, I would encourage you to just um, stay positive. Everybody's kind of, you know, trying to figure this weird time out. I know it for us up here, it's the same, same thing. I, some courses are closed altogether and some are dealing with uh, just trying to get by and uh, everybody's hurting, but uh, stay positive and best wishes to everybody over there. As far as uh, from me and everybody that I know, uh, we're just, trying to get through this thing together so yeah we're all in it together for sure sure (laughs) yeah we're a tight-knit group i'll give it that we're resilient too that's the one thing about being a superintendent you you sort of been able to adapt and uh, i mean you don't like to lay people off obviously in some of those difficulties but from the uh from the standpoint of we can manipulate and adapt and adjust it's it's one of those things we 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 become pretty good at (laughs) yeah dealing with adversity is one of the most uh common things we have to deal with yeah. you know and um and it's been a challenging year for sure yeah. you know um back in january i lost my assistant um he passed away oh, unfortunately and that. he was a uh a 20-year friend of mine yeah I, honestly bj one of my very best friends right. so and he was very well liked at the facility not just amongst the maintenance crew but across the board and yeah. Um, it really hit the whole facility really hard and right. it's been, um, was that sudden Is he, was he sick or no, it, yes, it was sudden. Yeah. And he, uh, it ended up, yeah, he ended up taking his own life, BJ. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's, I know that's difficult. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is difficult, but, um, it's not something that, um, that, you know, that you want to talk about a lot, but I'm not, right. uh, opposed to bringing it up either. Cause it yeah. happened and. These things do happen, but um, it's just uh, we're we're kind of just recovering from that, really. Right. Well, and when yeah. all this struck, yeah. you know, but um, that's why it's important to, I think, you know, look after your friends and your family, and yep. you never know when something like that's going to happen. No, you don't, and I certainly try to use this podcast as uh, in some form or fashion to help people and and give if I help just one person with one episode, then I, then I feel like I've done something and, you know, just to encourage people to reach out. And if something's bothering you or, I mean, us guys, we don't like talking at all about a lot of things. And, and, uh, this has allowed me to have a little bit of a platform to, you know, pull that out of people, talk about things. And hopefully, you know, I know that's a tough situation. I, I, I certainly sympathize with your feelings and how that, 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 uh, affected everybody. And, and I'm sorry about that. And, but you know, we can encourage someone who may be dealing with that or going through something that's listening to this. Maybe, maybe it saves them or, or it helps them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you a hundred percent on that. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, 
change it up a little bit and talk about some happy times in your your career. I'd love to get to know you, how you uh, went from Iowa to uh, now in South Carolina. So give a little background for everybody and talk about uh, your your career path and how you ended up there. Yeah. So like I said earlier, you know, I went to Iowa State University. Um, are you from Are you from there? Are you from? Yeah, I'm from the Midwest. Okay. I grew up I grew up in the Quad Cities. Right. I actually grew up in Moline, Illinois, which is the home oh, of John Deere. Yes, sir. I've been um, there. That's, you know, right on the border there with Iowa. Yeah. So um, I uh, went to Iowa State and uh, graduated with a degree in community and regional planning and figured out pretty quickly that it's not really one of what, what I wanted to do for a living. Right. So I'd always loved golf and decided I wanted to get into turf. And started looking into two-year schools to get a two-year degree, BJ, just to get it quick. And yep. turned around because I was just out of school at the time and found out about Ori Georgetown Tech down here in Myrtle Beach yep. and had a good reputation. And, you know, coming from Ames, Iowa at the time, Myrtle Beach sounded like a pretty good place <laughs> to move to. I'm sure it did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, so I did that. You know, at the time, um, my wife had actually just gotten a job um, – working on the PGA tour where she was going to be traveling, taking care of the golfers children when childcare, mobile yeah. childcare. So she was going to be traveling around doing that. Um, I was going to be going to school. So we basically just packed it up and moved down South to yeah. Myrtle beach. And that was in 1999. And I've been here since Yep. I started working at Caledonia golf and fish club here on Pauly's Island when I was in school. Yeah under my good friend and mentor, Jackson Clemens stayed there after I graduated, worked there for 11 years. And then, um, I literally moved right next door to heritage club where I'm at now. Yep. Um, in 2010, my 10 year anniversary is about three weeks away. Yeah. So I've did a short stint at Pinehurst, um, as an internship. Okay. Um, but I've really just been, been right here. Yeah. <laughs> I live, I basically, when I worked at Caledonia, I lived about half a mile from the shop and now I live about a mile and a half from my shop. So I'm close by. Yeah. So I've pretty much been here and, um, really only had the two jobs over the last 21 years. Well, that's uh, rare in these days, but, uh, you know, I, I commend you for that. I, I, I'd, uh, love to get over there and check the place out one day and play some golf with you. And I, 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 I've been to South Carolina only passing through, uh, went to Columbia and Greenville. I've been down to, uh, Sage Valley, I guess is, is Sage Valley in South Carolina. It is. Isn't it? Yeah, that's in yeah. Aiken. Yeah, yep. yeah. So I went over there, been down there a couple of times, but uh, but I haven't been out to Polly's Island. So I'd love to get over there. It's a good spot. Yeah. You know, it's right in between Myrtle Beach and Charleston, and yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the coolest spots on the East Coast, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, how, how so? Prior to all this epidemic and everything going on, how is golf over there in in terms of i mean i hear this you know the stories about how there's a lot of play and things going how competitive is all that how is all of that kind of tied into i don't know if i really got a good question as far as how that is but you know talk about the play and and all that over there and and the the golf and i mean it's pretty much a golf mecca i guess it is you know myrtle beach area is um we've probably got 85 90 courses now you know we, we had as many as 115 at one point. Yep. Um, but yeah, you know, I, you take here, Myrtle Beach area, Pinehurst, um, Hilton Head, you know, down into Georgia and all yep. that. And it's all 
a mecca of resort golf yeah. for sure. Now, yeah. locally here at, in, in Myrtle Beach, it's it's competitive, yeah, but it's also um, we all work together sure. as a destination to yeah. try to market ourselves to compete with other destinations, and um, it's uh, there's a good brotherhood between the superintendents here yep. in Myrtle Beach and in the Carolinas all the way across the board. Chad, right. Say. How does that 65 rounds, you said 65,000 rounds, how does that stack up? 60. 60. Yeah. 60. Yeah. Don't let me add rounds to your life. Yep. Um, how does that stack up with some of the other courses? Is that higher or lower, or how does that work? It's 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 on the high end. Yeah. You know, I would say there's certainly some courses in the area that do in the 50s, some in the 40s. Right. Um, your privates are going to be obviously down in the – you know, twenties to teens, right. but most Myrtle Beach golf courses, I would say, do between thirty-five and sixty thousand rounds, depending on the operation and 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 what and just what's going on. Location has a lot to do with it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's I'd say forty-five thousand rounds. BJ might be an average, right? Yeah, that, that's that'd be high for up here. I mean, it's, we just, I mean, forty-five or fifty would be pretty high i mean i think we got a couple of courses that might do a little more than that but most we're we're pretty private club heavy for the most part yeah. i mean i'm in just west of nashville so it's um it's just private club after private club very few public golf courses different world though but you know yep um what do you get to play golf much i see i follow you on social media so i see you're out there on the course i don't know if you're playing or just you know yeah i i play yeah um I like to play as much as I possibly can, yeah. you know, uh, maybe once a week, probably average, but I do love to play. I mean, yeah. I'm part of the reason why I do this is cause I'm, I love golf and yeah. everything about it. Yeah. Well, talk a little bit about the heritage club and, and what makes it special. You know, you can, we can get into what kind of grasses you're dealing with down there. This is a, people love all that stuff. So talk a little bit about that and the background, the history and, and, um, all that good stuff. Well, there's a lot of history. It goes back a long way. Um, you know, the Polly's Island area is part of the, um, what they call the colonial rice plantation area, uh -huh. meaning that um, starting back in the early 1700s, they pretty much figured out that they could use the um, tidal freshwater action of the rivers to grow rice like they did out in the, in the Far East. Okay. And, um, Heritage Club was is built on the site of two former working rice plantations. So um, the whole area really had a big boom, basically from 1750 up until the Civil War. Yep. You know, it was big time rice production, and that really shapes everything in the community. And um, so it was built on the site of two golf courses. I'm right on the Waccamaw River. Okay. Uh, the old rice fields are still out there. Um, I've got. Uh, two cemeteries on my golf course. One's a slave cemetery. The other one is a plantation owner cemetery, you know, graves from back, like I said, back to those times, yeah. 1700s, 1800s, um, tons of live oak trees, anything that you would think about sure. in a, you know, a, a plantation setting we have, yep. um, you know, we have one of the oldest live oak trees in Georgetown County where I'm at. Um, you know, there the clubhouse is built on the site of where the former plantation houses. Okay. Um, I have an I have a diked 
former rice field that I use for my irrigation impoundment, BJ, which is kind of different. Uh -huh. um, so I can basically use the river water, bring it in to fill it up or, or let it out and kind of control the level in there. And I pull directly out of that. Right. Um, that's, that's so, unique. That's, it is very unique yeah. system, yeah. very unique. And it gets kind of does interesting. You, does that create water challenge, quality challenges or how does that play out? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So basically, uh, <laughs> when we start to get, uh, into trout situations, especially up in Western North Carolina and parts of central North Carolina, everywhere where my watershed is where all the water comes down, if it starts to get dry up there and the flows start to slow down, I'm only 35 miles away from the mouth of the ocean. Right. So if the flows aren't, if the flows are normal or coming downstream, it keeps the salt water pushed out. It's plenty of fresh water as much as I can possibly use. Right. But when that changes, the salt wedges, as they call, will start to come up the bay. There's not enough flow coming down to push the water out. So the salt water starts to come up. So then things get interesting. Then I have to do things like close up my irrigation impoundment. I've got two 36-inch pipes that have flappers on each side where I control the flow of water in and out with gravity and with tidal action. Well, if the water quality starts to go down, I have to close those up. Yep. If it gets really bad, I have to put in pipe balloons. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Never heard of that. It's, basi it's basically a balloon you put in a drainage pipe and blow it up to totally seal okay, it off. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. And then um, I do have a 23-acre lake, freshwater lake, that I have a transfer pump that I can transfer water from that lake down to my irrigation impoundment to keep my water um, level up. It's not the same as having the trunks open and letting the river water come in, I'm going to have to kind of definitely be more conservative with yeah. what I water and, and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And, um, you know, anytime you're dealing with tidal action, it just throws a whole new set of curveballs on you, you know, and, um, with, you know, sea level rise, that kind of, um, throws in some interesting challenges too. A lot of times when, even in normal situations, when we get what we call king tides down here, which are higher than normal tides, that'll elevate the level of salinity in the river. And a lot of times those tides end up being higher than, than normal, and they can come over the top of my dike right. and basically pollute my entire freshwater pool. And I've got to let water out. And it's... <laughs> I was going to ask you what challenges you had, but I think I found the one challenge that you have the most. <laughs> because that yeah. sounds, that sounds like you're constantly battling the water situation now this is not nothing new i think water is a big issue across the board for a lot of people but your situation is unique and and um i'm, I'm fascinated by irrigation i that's one of the things i kind of do a lot nowadays yep. but, but um uh i'm interested enough to know that that whole set setup probably keeps you hopping on a daily you know i don't know about a daily basis but you know you have to constantly be monitoring it you do, you know, and I've got several different ways that I do monitor it. We have a marina on the river here at the uh, golf course. Um, and there's a USGS water quality monitoring station there, which basically, you know, monitors gauge height, which is your tidal action up and down. It's yeah. got water temperature. It's got salinity, um, EC, which is the same thing, and dissolved oxygen. But anyway... Anytime I've got a parameter set on that station, anytime the salinity goes over a certain level, I get an alert on my phone okay. so that I yeah. know. Um, 
And it's taken, you know, I've been dealing with this because it was, a, you know, we use the same water source next door at Caledonia when I was assistant there for 10 years. So I kind of already knew what I was getting into. But, sure. you you know, you have to know the difference between um, just experience teaches you, you know, when you really need to pay, pay attention and take action or yeah. when you know it's something that's just going to subside or, um, you know, the wind direction has such a big deal on tidal action and the movement of the water and it's it it is um a little different but fortunately i've got a lot of experience dealing with it so that always helps and you know talking about irrigation um the first podcast of yours that i ever listened to was Stephen nutt yeah and um that's what hooked me that one right there (laughs) i just thought that was really interesting and um so it's funny that you say how you like irrigation. That's really kind of how I got turned on to making the turn podcast. Yeah. yeah Steven and I go way back. We've been friends for a while and, uh, he got to do some work with me on Brentwood at Brentwood country club. Um, but yeah, I've known him for, we've been trying to do irrigation work for a long time. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I he's a fascinating dude. He's done a lot of things and hope you got a, uh, something out of it. But, uh, yeah, he's a they 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 were the first ones I ever seen do the HDPE with the fusion and everything. And there were yep. several people that were doing it, but I got to see firsthand. He was teaching me about it and stuff like that. So we didn't go into a lot of that. I don't think I don't can't remember, but but uh, yeah, it was good. It was a good uh, good podcast. It was a good one. Yeah, I enjoyed it, and I like irrigation too. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's definitely you know when I was younger in my career, I didn't. I underestimated how important irrigation was, but, uh, it's very important. I, I I would echo those. So, uh, so many times I think people focus on the grass and some of the other things and dealing with that, but the irrigation makes a world of difference and how you manage it and what problems that you face with it. You know, it's constantly a challenge. I mean, I'm currently doing, um, you know, helping a golf course right now kind of get their stuff back online because it's just been neglected and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it happens. I mean, and then, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know, but, uh, I, I, I've taken a passion to it. I started from day one when I got into the business with, uh, just trying to understand water management and how to, how to make grass better. But I came from it from a playability standpoint. I was a golfer at heart and I thought, you know, why do, why do I always go to golf courses when it hasn't rained? And it's a wet area here and it's dry, you know, and I just didn't understand why that was not as big an issue. And to me, I, I took it personally to try to figure out how could I do that. And with computer technology now and in, um, the way you can uh, adjust individual sprinkler heads and things, I just find it, you know, that's an art in itself to be able to do that and to help people try to figure that out. Yeah, we do have a lot of tools today. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've got Toro links control system at my place and man that's that's really helped yeah. improve my overall irrigating for yeah. sure we'll continue on the talk about uh, heritage club and some of the other unique things you've got going on and and um you know that uh, i think people will find that irrigation fascinating and that's a that's a pretty cool little challenge you got there but talk a little bit more about uh, heritage club yeah, it, it, the course was built in the mid '80s. Um, it's a Dan Maples design. Okay, you know Dan Maples is kind of a regional architect, I would say. Uh, has a lot of work in the Carolinas and Virginia. Uh-huh. Um, he is the son of Ellis Maples, okay. who was a protege of Donald Ross um, out of Pinehurst, and it's a it's a it's a very scenic golf course. Like I said, you yeah. know, it's got tons of old trees and. Um, 
there's a very nice community that's built in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got Champion Bermuda Grass Greens. How do you Everything like that? Everything else, uh, I like it. Yeah. I think in my situation with the mm-hmm. shade and the heavy play and everything, it serves me well. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, I think all your ultra dwarfs, BJ, are are good, and some have niches, right? Better niches than others, and um, but I I've been pleased with it. Um, obviously, fairways and rough is Bermuda grass. Um, tees are about a third of my tees are four nineteen, a third of them are celebration, and the other third is zoysia. Gotcha. Um, and most of the celebration and zoysias I've put in. Uh-huh. Um, Kind of learned a little bit about that when I was at Caledonia. Again, the zoysia really helps in the shade. Sure. Um, then I kind of have the celebration and what I'll kind of call the in-between, the the less shade right. tea areas or that I need a little bit more aggressive growth, R3 teas. I'm a believer in, champ, uh, in celebration yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so I only have about three acres of teas and 60,000 rounds and all the other um, – you know, stresses that I've got to put extra inputs in on those. And I like to, um, a lot of times I'll do a lot of experimenting right. on teas. Nice. I've got five acres of greens. So I have big, Whoa. big greens. Yeah. Yeah. Which really helps with all the play that I have. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine um, so. So, um, but I like to have nice teas, BJ. That's yeah. important to me. Yeah. I think when you get up on a, you know, I've always felt like, you can make a good first impression on on the first tee. You've already, yep. you know, put yourself in a good position with your players. So I like to put a little extra effort into those. Yep. Um, you know, my golf course is basically sand, all sand, um, which I like. Yeah. You know, it definitely requires a little bit more fertility inputs than, than some other heavier soils, but it also drains pretty well. And, sure. you know, it was a golf course that was built – kind of before we got into all this um, internal drainage and fairways and everything. They basically, there was enough elevation change on the property, yeah. you know, because everything around here is pretty low in general. Right. You know, it's called the low country, but we've got enough movement that they didn't really disturb the natural drainage patterns of the property. So everything, the water moves around pretty well. And um, so that's, that's a nice thing about it, yeah. you know, but uh, definitely, it takes more, like I said, it takes some more fertility inputs, especially with the amount of play that I do. Um, that's just one of the challenges out there. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, being a resort course and having that much play, it's probably, I doubt you get many days off, uh, days to do things you need to do. You're probably having to get creative with, uh, your cultural practices and other things. I'm sure you plan airification and things like that, but, um, you know, I imagine having that many rounds, I mean, that's about max for the amount of daylight we get and the the time. You probably don't have the winters like we have, a, uh, but you know, that's a yeah. That's pretty tough, I'd imagine. It it is, and you know, again, I'll go back to when I worked at Caledonia. We were doing fifty to fifty five thousand rounds over there then, so it's all I've really known. Yeah, and you, I've kind of gotten used to it. Yeah. Do you overseed? No, no, I don't. No. I used to, and. um I stopped three years ago. I stopped completely. Um, And there was a period before I stopped completely that I was kind of doing like a hybrid overseeding thing where I'd take two or three fairways on my course that I couldn't get to transition very well, mostly because they're really, really sandy. Um, 
and I stopped overseeding those and just went into painting those. Yeah. Kind of got my feet wet a little bit and kind of figured it out. And uh, the more I thought about it, um, the more I wanted. There were some other courses around me that had gone to non-overseeding. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I really like it. Um, it's uh, not for everybody. And, you know, in fact, a lot of people in the Myrtle Beach market have gone back this year to wall-to-wall overseeding bj which we've really in this market gotten away from for the most part for the last 10 years but some people have gone back to it um but the only overseeding i do is my driving range tee and about two acres of tees everything else is not overseeded i do paint fairways some um done a lot of experimenting and the different things with that but um but no i don't oversee yeah i'm a i'm a big fan of the painting it's it's kind of made its way up here we Overseeding has not really been something we don't we don't see a lot outside of like tees or you know we have some yep. courses I think we have one or two courses that try to stand out but I'm I'm a big fan of the painting I think there's so many advantages to it I think when you're really just trying to give some aesthetics and a target and things like that I mean it I don't see a downside outside of just doing it you know and and, and the cost obviously it's a cost factor but there's a cost factor to overseeding too there is and really you know. In the Myrtle Beach area, any money that you spent on seed, you're going to spend on paint and fungicide. Yeah. You know, um, in our market, I think even down here, it's still important to, you know, I'll do a wall-to-wall tebiconazole application in the um, fall yeah. to help us bring dead spot control. Obviously, we don't have the pressure like you have up there in Tennessee, but sure. it also just... um you know, just we've noticed over the years that making that application, it just does something to the Bermuda. It helps it overwinter. It helps it not drop its leaves as much. Yeah. Um, probably cleans up some lesser pathogens out there. And, um, you know, the savings really come year after year, year round. Yeah. You know, and, I, and like you were saying earlier, you know, I'm all about playability. Yeah. And I think obviously, in my opinion, I can do better year round playability, not overseas. You know, is there a period that I'm not going to be good as my um, colleagues who do overseed? Absolutely. But there's a trade-off there because there's also going to be a period when I'm going to be superior. And yeah. it's just really kind of each individual facility needs to decide that for themselves. It's not for everybody. And yeah. ultimately, in the Myrtle Beach market, I think we're better off having a little bit of everything, you know, give people options. I, I agree. And, it, you know, it's a way to stand out a little bit. I mean, I you know, I – You'd have to tell me, but our, I mean, our our temperature extremes here are pretty high, you know, low. That's kind of what weird about our our area. But do you do you? I'm assuming you go dormant, but do you really get a lot of freezing weather, or or how does your temperature vary? We do. Yeah. You know, we do. We get um, we go dormant all the way. I yeah. mean, guys around here, we go dormant enough to spray glyphosate yeah. on on dormant Bermuda well, for weed weed control. Yeah. You know, every year is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, you know, this year we didn't have very many extreme cold temperatures this year. You know, I think at my place, we maybe got down to 25, Okay, you know, but then, you know, two years ago when we had the, you know, the winter of what was 17, 18, when we had all the really cold weather, I mean, my place was under snow cover for 10 days, you know? So, I mean, we can, you know, this this isn't, um, you know, this is Myrtle beach. It's not Jacksonville, Florida, (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's, I I hear you. (laughs) We still get, um, some cold weather uh but um it's not quite as we don't have the extremes like you have yeah. you know 
um, it's a little bit, especially here at the coast, yeah. it's a little bit more moderated for sure. I'm assuming you have covers though for your greens. Do you? I do now. Yeah, I do now. We <laughs> a lot of us here in Myrtle Beach got covers after the after the winter of seventeen eighteen. Yeah. You know, um, of course, I haven't used them since I got them, BJ. Yeah. You yeah. know, but I'm sure I'll need them at some point. So I, I do have. Yeah. Yep. Because I would imagine if you're getting the low to 25, you're probably highs are 40, 45. I mean, what what, what would that a typical day like that be? Yeah, you know, when we're getting that really cold weather, we might not get highs out of the 30. Man. Okay. You know, when those yeah. when those cold fronts sweep down and and, and you all up there kind of yeah. get the cold, we get it too. Yeah. You know, and it's not uncommon to not even get to 40. Yeah. And um, but then again, our soil temperatures are a little bit higher here. Right. You know, and so again, it's kind of balancing all those different facts and you know trying to figure everything out obviously hydration of the root zone is important you know desiccation is what ultimately kills bermuda grass glad to hear you say that not many people think about that (laughs) (laughs) well thank you yeah it's been through the ringer a few times yeah i hear you I mean, I think you can use the you can use the covers to your advantage if you if you have the labor uh, to, to ward off frost or just a little cold temperatures. I know you're you're under the gun for pressure from play on a normal yeah. year, so that that creates a challenge to find a time to cover and then uncover. But I mean, those covers can be an advantage for you when it comes to um, keeping the green, keeping them you know healthy because you're not you're not in a case where you're going to have any winter kill issues. Not at all, I don't think. Right and. Only in extreme years, yeah. you know, and, and there are a lot of superintendents here at, in Myrtle Beach area that, you know, may cover three or four of their greens that need it the most, Yeah, for sure. you know, and, and you just put them on at night and pull them off in the next morning. Yep. You know, obviously, you know, the resort play that we have makes it more difficult for us to move forward with just saying we're going to close down for four days and put the covers on. Yeah. You know, we, we can't just do that. Yeah. Um, we, you know, if we as superintendents in our company go to the um, the decision makers and tell them we have to do this, they're going to let us do it. Sure. You know, they trust us. But at the same time, um, we also know that um, we need to keep, keep the golfers coming. And, yeah. you know, there's a, other things that we do, obviously, like you mentioned, you know, painting is a big part of that. If you can paint, you know, you're going to increase your canopy temperature, your soil temperature, one thing that I've used pretty effectively over the years is the black sand, black top dressing sand. Yeah. You know, putting putting that out there in the wintertime to add color and everything else that top dressing does, I think that's helps. Yep. And um again, moisture management, wetting agents, for sure. irrigating, yep, for hand sure. watering BJ yeah. is critical in ultra dwarf management as i'm sure you know i mean in the winter time especially in the winter it's a, time yep, it's more sure. important in the winter than it is in the summer yep you know because let's face it it's it's really hard to overwater these things in the summertime <laughs> i mean yeah. you, you can yeah. and you can lead to some problems but ultimately most all your problems are going to come from underwatering yeah fortunately unfortunately for me i i was out before i mean i still do some work in golf courses but i'm not as much on the ultra dwarfs much anymore but I didn't get to mess around or dial in the greens with the moisture meters like I wanted to. I, uh, they started coming around, playing around with them. I would have liked to have dialed mine in with the moisture meters where I was really hands-on with each green because back to that whole playability thing, that you know, I'm, I'm really a stickler for how they play versus what they look like, so to speak. And, and um, 
I, I, are you using moisture meters and things like that specifically on your greens to kind of fine tune them and, and uh, you know, where you need to be on the water side? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, uh, you know, another thing that's really helped me on my greens, BJ, is um, having the Toro links control and operating the greens heads on the precip rate instead of your standard minutes. Yeah. So, you know, basically we went out there and took a protractor and, you know, looked at the arc of each individual head on each green. Yep. And, you know, you put that into your database in the computer and then, you know, like say tonight I'm going to run 0.15 inches of water on my greens. And each individual irrigation head is going to run a different amount of time based on the arc to put that out. And once I did that, right. it literally cut my hand watering down in half. Yeah. You know, everywhere where I had dry spots on my greens – was areas where the arcs were, you know, 220 or 230 or 240. And when I was running five minutes a night, six minutes a night, that head just wasn't running long enough. Sure. And it, you know, it helped improve the wet spots. And just another example of taking advantage of the technology that's available, you know, and these irrigation um, softwares that we have now, if you're willing to put the time and put the work into getting the data in there, yeah. they can really pay off. Oh, no doubt. I mean, just like we used to, I mean, I'm sure you had to do all that manually to get every, all the measurements, but once you got it and now you can fine tune it, I mean, the time is priceless or invaluable for what you did versus what you can provide your customers. I mean, I, that's, you're right. I mean, the technology is only getting better and, and, um, you know, just, in, just, just the creativeness and the an ability to create the playability you want and using it your, to your full advantage. I mean, if we're not, if they're not doing it, they need to be, or at least learning how to. Yeah. And it's, um, another thing I love about the links control is the, how easy it is to write programs. I'm going to have to get know? Toro to sponsor this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cool with that. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I have a, you know, I have your typicals, a 80 or nineties irrigation system, you know, same, yeah you know, um, double row, triple row in spots, you know, I do have the, um, my greens were renovated in the late nineties to where I have the ins and outs and everything, but, um, yeah. it's simple enough that I can easily write and modify my programs to where, you know, very rarely do I ever say I'm going to run all my fairways or all my tees. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of, I'm constantly writing different programs and just trying to run whatever I need to run that night to get by. Yeah. Um, you know, to conserve um, water when I need to do that, or just to only put the water down where I need it for yep. playability reasons. Yep. So, going back to the water a little bit, do you have to register yep. how much you use? Is, are you regulated by some state regulations or anything, or is that free for you to just pound out as much as you want? How does that work? I mean, I I have to obviously, like everybody, keep track of it sure. and turn into um, the. Uh, government in Columbia, DHEC, you know, the Department of Health and Environmental Control, you know, my usage, yep. but um, I don't have any limitations on, on how much I can draw right now. Gotcha. So, um, but obviously, you know, it's power, you know, to pump the water right. is very important. And um, the less power you can use, the better your bottom line is going to be yeah, um, for sure. on, on your budget. I imagine that, I mean, I'm, I'm more, my background's a lot more in the, uh, and obviously every club have to concentrate on expenses and, but I'm, you know, private clubs where dues do a lot for you, 
whether you whether you have one golfer or twenty. I mean, if they're paying dues, you've got things coming in. But I'm, I imagine that you your challenge another challenge you have is just looking at constantly, maybe maybe week to week, but maybe more likely month to month of where you're at you know, budget-wise, where everything's kind of hitting with you uh, as far as the revenue, and then making decisions, always, you know, every decision has an impact. So, you know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, you know, my golf course is owned and operated by a management company, okay. Century Golf. Um, also does business as Arnold Palmer Golf Management. So okay. part of that is, um, yeah, I have to be very – on top of my finances all the time. I have to do weekly conference calls about where I'm at. And yep. um, thankfully we had a, an agronomy uh, vice president of agronomy a, a ways back when I started, who's no longer with us, but um, he developed a lot of these Excel spreadsheets that we use to, yeah. to track expenses, um, to forecast where we're going to be and very, very powerful tools. Yeah. And I use those and, um, just so that way I do know exactly where I'm at all the time. And it's great for, you know, being able to understand where you can cut expenses at times and also being able to spend your budget yeah. because that's important um, to sometimes at your facility to, you know, spend what you're going to need because sure. a lot of times if you don't spend it, you don't get it next <laughs> year. And you know how weather anomalies are and things yeah. happen, BJ. I know. And, you know, not every year you're going to need it, but next year you might, you yeah. never know what's going to come up. So, um, you know, and I, to be honest with you, that's really helped me in this situation that we're going through right now, yeah. because I've been able to, over the years, stockpile some fertilizer chemicals, sure. you know, and, um, I'm going to need that over the next 90 to 120 days. I'm going to have to get creative, yeah. but uh, I, I have at least a somewhat of a stockpile that, um, that I'm going to be working off of. And part of that is just picking up a little bit here and there over the years and maybe not using it, but um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's look, that's the times we're in, you've got to adapt and, and you're probably at this point where you've got to, you know, pull everything back. Expenses got to be pretty tight. I mean, you need to pay the, the people that you need to pay. I mean, you've already had to been through some hardships with labor, which, you know, and I'm sure that, you're trying not to run equipment with fuel and every, every possible scenario you're running through. I'm sure you're, you're doing that. And, uh, and I, you know, I, uh, I, I certainly understand where you're coming from. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And it's, um, had to make some changes yep. for sure. But, uh, I'm also looking forward to the opportunity to do things differently this year. Yeah. You know, this is going to be a learning experience for all of us in the turf management business. Um, some more than others, but uh, I'm definitely going to be doing things differently and observing and and seeing what happens. Yeah, for sure. You got any projects coming up? Anything that no. was planned or? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Yeah. You know, um, I was scheduled to aerate greens the first week of June, but I'm not going to do that now. Yeah. Um, usually, I, you know do a couple aerations, one in June, you know, one in late July or August. I might sure. just go with one this year. Gotcha. Um, but no, pretty much all that is, um, is on hold right now. Yeah. You know, it's really just kind of, um, the austerity program is in full effect. DJ. <laughs> no doubt. Did you happen to, um, 
hear my uh, episode with a buddy of mine, uh, James McNair, whose dad runs, uh, I think it's Aiken Golf Club, or his, they own it. Or Absolutely, I did. In fact, it was interesting because right before that came out, I played at Aiken Golf Club, the fried egg event that they had over there. So I met Mr. McNair and um, very familiar with the course and everything. So I did listen to that one and um, was even more interested in it just because I had just been there. Yeah. He, uh, he worked, he worked with me at Brentwood country club. I'm I'm sure you heard the story, but uh, it was a, it was kind of a neat transition for me to talk to someone who's heavily in the golf, but merge music and golf together. Cause he's a, He's a up and coming singer songwriter, but he's uh, you know not in the golf business anymore. And but it was cool to kind of merge those two conversations because I I love music and I love golf and you know what a better thing to do. And you know we're uh, we're trying to work on some cool things uh, maybe down the road. But uh, that was I was I was interested to see if you listened to that one. I did, and that Aiken Golf Club is a special place. Yeah, and um, you know just the way the McNair family runs it. Yep. You know the way the Mister McNair's. You know he's the GM. He's the pro. He's the superintendent. He built the place. <laughs> you know it's uh, it's got a really cool vibe to it, and it's um, I'm looking forward to going back there again. Yeah, I I I I've got to get down there. I mean I he, I um I'd love to play it with him. I told him I, we would get down there and do something, but uh, I there's so many golf courses. Dead gum, and I want to play. I I don't even get a chance to do it hardly anymore, but. Uh, you know, I I went to school playing golf, uh, college golf, and it seems like I somehow or another lost uh, the ability to get to play as much as I do. But that's the way it, that's the way it goes, I guess. <laughs> it is, and I I've gotten back to my roots uh, yeah. playing golf a little bit lately too. With what's going on, I've been getting back out there walking, yeah. which is uh, forgot how much I really enjoyed that. That's what I'm seeing is is people uh, using golf as a as an outlet. I mean, I know there's a population of people that think that we shouldn't be doing anything and you know it's just hard to say what's right or wrong i don't want to get into all that but i think golf is a great way to people to kind of pass the time and and uh deal with all these difficulties i mean there's so many people that can't work or i mean they're taking away state parks and things like that so um you know i i would i I would love to get out there and golf and walk. And I think I commend you for doing that. And, and also hopefully you're seeing that, you know, people that are just, you know, being safe, being cautious, but they're getting out and playing some golf and enjoying it, whether they're, you know, playing by the rules or not, who cares? I mean, you know, yeah. And, you know, I think my take on it is, you know, golf is, if you follow the guidelines that they've set forth by the CDC, you know, golf is safe. And, um, you know, we've made tons of adjustments on the course and mm-hmm. at the facilities. And, um, you know, I think it's just the unique aspect of golf that makes it so that it is safe during this time. And, um, you know, 10 days ago, did I did I see a lot of people heeding what the CDC were saying on my golf course? No, I did. Sure. But over the last week or so, I don't think I've seen anybody really blatantly break any of the guidelines i know at my facility we're working very hard to make sure everybody's safe make sure we're doing things the right way i know you know the carolinas golf course superintendents association uh tim krieger our director brian Steeler, our president have worked really hard to try to keep golf open and um we're trying to do the right thing and and hopefully it stays that way hopefully we get some new people to come out and play bj and i think so you know um so, you know, my facility didn't allow walking at all, period. So, but 
that's changed. Sure. And it's it's nice to see people out there carrying their bag. It's nice to see pull carts and push carts. Yeah. And, um, you know, because I think we need to get back to golf being a physical activity, yep. being part of wellness. I mean, that's really how the game got started back in the British Isles and everything. And um, the more of that model we can bring back here to the States, yep. the better off I think we're going to be. And, again, I think maintenance, turf grass maintenance is – we're obviously all going to be, not all of us, most of us are going to be doing things differently and simpler and yep. lower maintenance and just kind of seeing what, just going to expose us to a different way of doing things. You know, one thing that me and a couple of my colleagues have been talking about, I don't know if I'm ever going to put my trap brakes back out on the golf course, PJ. Ever. Yeah. I, I, just because what I'm seeing is... um you know, not having the rakes out there, I think the presentation of the bunkers is equal, you know, because a lot of times, obviously there's footprints and right. people are good about smoothing their splash areas out with the footprints. But in my facility, a lot of times when people use rakes, they do such a horrible job that you can get just as bad of a lie right. of somebody, you know, doing a quick five second break. You know how it is. Yeah. and Nobody really takes the time. So they get in the way and slow down play. So I don't know if I'll ever even put them back out there. I think we're going to think a lot of, uh, a lot differently about how we do things, and that's just one. I mean, there's so many, there's so many things that we'll do differently uh, out of this that uh, we'll be better for it for sure. It's just a matter of uh, what all, where does all that land, you know? Yep. It's just one of those things. And uh, you know, I, one one of the questions I had for you is, um, are you seeing any like zoysia grass greens? Uh, the popular popularity of that happening over in your area? we're we're starting to yep. we're starting to um you know uh uh i have a section of diamond zoysia on uh, one of my greens right now yeah the most heavily shaded spots on one of my greens i have diamond when i was at caledonia back in 07 we um put in some diamond zoysia greens on a practice area yeah and uh that was Interesting experience. Grew them in from Spriggs, yep. which was fun. Took about 80 days, but it was a fun little project. And yep. we're starting to. There's yep. nobody in uh, Myrtle Beach yet that um, that has it. You know, we do have a, we have one course with Pasphalum Greens, and then you go just 60 miles to the south and meet out in the Charleston area, you start to see some, you know, a lot of Pasphalum Greens. Yeah. So, um, but I'm intrigued about the Zoysia. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's something down the road that might work at my facility. Yeah. I definitely intrigued by it. I'm, I'm studying it um, as much as I can. I think, I think definitely in our area, it's an op opportunity if somebody's facing a greens conversion that it's a viable option. Um, you know, people are getting past the sticking point of the grow ends a little bit longer than Bermuda, and I just don't. I don't know. I think we're closing the gap on that as far as the timing, and uh, you know, especially if uh, you're a low end you know, sort of a medium to lower in budget course where labor in the winter for covering and some things, I'm not suggesting that we never cover them, especially it gets, you know, cold here, but at the same time, um, you got, you got some built in things that are a little bit better for you. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Zoysia. I'm look, looking forward to seeing where it goes and, and, um, just always curious to ask people, uh, that are dealing with, my, uh, ultra dwarfs and warm season grasses, if they see that because i i think i think it's coming i just don't know we may be a few more years out yeah i mean i'm 
following pretty closely yeah. to the people that are ex- the sod farms, the breeders, the yeah. golf courses that are testing them. It's I'm definitely interested. I just love zoysia grass in general. Yeah. You know, like I said, I've got it on a lot of my tees. I've got it at my at my house in my yard. You know, it's yeah. um it's a very versatile turf grass for oh, sure. For sure, it's um it's uh, one of those grasses that uh, is probably really good for a lot of different things and we're just touching the iceberg of all the things that we can use it for especially in our kind of in our area where we're dealing with some highs and lows that you just kind of you know here we can't really grow anything well we just grow a lot of stuff as good as we can so you know you know it's just the way it goes but well um before i let you go i know your time is valuable we've uh, rocked out a good hour of conversation but i just want to uh talk to you about a couple of things but like what do you what do you what do you do when you're not? What What do you do for fun? What do you enjoy doing? Um, you know, outside of the golf world, outside of golfing, you fish. You do anything kind of cool like that? I know you, you probably got a family and all that, and so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I do have a family, and I love spending time with my family. Yep. Um, I love hanging out with my bride Molly. Yep. Um, a lot of our friends have joked with us that. Um, this whole quarantine isolation thing is very normal for us because we pretty much keep to ourselves <laughs> and stay at home all the time anyway, right. which is true to a certain extent. Um, but other than that, BJ, I love, I, I'm like you. I love music. Yep. You know, um, I love listening to music, playing music. Um, I love reading, yep. um, gathering information, um, hanging out with friends. Um, I'm into the outdoors, yep. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a 32 handicapper when it comes to fishing. Um, I do, (laughs) I do own a, (laughs) I do own a boat. Um, and I do like to go boating. Um, I love hiking, um, walking. Um, that's, that's pretty much what I'm into. Yeah. What's one thing that, uh, somebody doesn't know about you that they, they are, that they, if they knew about you would be, they'd be shocked about (laughs) get into an interview question here. (laughs) <laughs> this is a tough one. Um, <laughs> there might not be anything. It, you know, BJ, it'll come to me an hour or two from now when we're off you here, but t- nothing, you can nothing text comes me to it. mind. Yeah. Well, um, the last thing, and I like to kind of circle around to, you know, talking about things and, and, and what I, we mentioned earlier about helping people. And I noticed you had something on your Twitter page and I'm going to quote it. It's like aiming down the middle hit more fairways in golf and life. Where did that come from? Where's your inspiration for that? And uh, what do you, what do you kind of mean by that? I think it's just, you know, I'm a person that likes to not really take sides on things. You know, it's about, um, you know, our world has just become so polarized and it's, uh, there's such an us against them mentality about everything. And I think we're all suffering from that a little bit right now and what we're dealing with. And, it's more just about, um, you know, trying to see people's individual perspectives on things yep. and um, not jump to conclusions and make determinations based on what I think. And just, um, you know, for the most part, keep my opinions to myself, you know. I mean, I'll share them if I feel like they're well-informed, but yeah. most of them aren't in reality. Yeah, I, I... I agree with you. I think sometimes what's the old adage? It's better to sit there and appear to be a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Sometimes you have to live by that, uh, 
that uh, philosophy on a lot of things. And in this day and age, it's just gather information and, and try to figure out where you where you stand on a lot of things. And, you know, that's that's sort of my my motto as well. And as far as the golf part goes, you know, I'm just as apt to hit a little bit of a fade as I am a little bit of a draw. Off the tee. <laughs> so I'll just aim it down the middle and, and, and hope that it doesn't curve too much, PJ. Yeah. Uh, man, I don't even know want to know where my golf game is at right now. I'm afraid to even ask. I I don't think I've hit a ball, and I don't play much in the winter. So um, I usually I'll usually play late part of the winter or fall, maybe November, early December, and then I put them up. And I'm one because I don't like playing in the cold, and it's usually you know you might get one or two days, but and then it just you know Masters and things fire you up. But this year has been kind of a little weird, so. It's a different world. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, um, anything that I didn't ask you that you would want to talk about? Or, uh, how's things? Uh, what's up coming for you in the Carolinas and all the, the association? I'm, you know, I'm uh, as I as I do this, I, I certainly want to create a, a relationship and partnership and do things with all the different things because I feel like that this information and content is valuable. It's just a matter of, of people getting to know other people in our industry. Um, you know, I don't know where it goes, but, uh, it's, it, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. So what's, what do you got going, uh, coming up? What are some of the things y'all got over there that you want to tell people about? Well, we're continuing to do what we can with pulling weeds. Obviously it's difficult right now, as you know, to produce content because yep. you can't really be face to face with people. But, um, you know, we're, we were doing a bunch of member profiles. That's something that I was involved with. Um, we're going to continue to do those. You know, we're trying to put out information for our members and for the turf grass community on different solutions to the issues that we're facing with this COVID-19. Yeah. Um, we're going to continue to utilize technology and, and put that kind of stuff out there and um, just try to be on the forefront and leaders of the turf grass community and, and help everyone that that's out there that, because yeah. we all need it. You know, we got to, stick together and share information. And, um, that's really what we're trying to do. Yeah. Well, you guys do a, an exceptional job. I know there's a lot of people, us included over in Tennessee that try to follow you guys lead and, and, uh, you know, keep up all the good work. Uh, you know, uh, everything with pulling weeds and the association and everything and heritage club and, and all that you're doing. I just, uh, wish you the best. If there's anything I can do, this means the world to me that you came on and, and we got to finally catch up and chat a little bit and I hope we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. I've really enjoyed everything you've put out and <laughs> has helped me pass many hours on the golf course. And, and yeah, and thank you for your kind words about the Carolinas. You know, we're fortunate that, you know, we're two massive golf States yep. that are together. You know, there's not many associations that have the kind of footprint that we have, but, um, I also think that we take advantage of that and our resources and, and try to do some good things for the community overall. Yeah. Well, again, I keep up with you're doing, you guys are doing a great job and, uh, I'll get down there and, uh, we'll hang out and, uh, at some point when all this craziness is over and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, meet up and play golf and I'll, I'll even, I've never been over to the, uh, the conference over there and I've always something one I wanted to do. And this platform maybe allowed me to kind of be a little bit more, nimble and move around so i'm in i'll I'll plan to do that yeah i think you should come bj i think it'd be a good chance for you to get a lot of good guests too if nothing else for sure well i'll experience experience the whole show it's it's you know it's um only second to the national show yeah as far as so what i've been told i haven't been to some of the other regional ones but um 
it's 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 a great thing. Well, I, I have heard it is, so um, I'm looking forward to getting over there and seeing it one uh, sometime. And um, you know, we'll uh, we'll meet up then, hopefully uh, sooner than later. But uh, if not, then we'll do it eventually one day for sure. Sounds good. Thank well, you for everything you're doing, BJ. I, I appreciate it. Well, Jim uh, uh, Jim Huntoon, golf course superintendent, Heritage Golf. Uh, not golf. I'd messed it up. See Heritage Club in Poly, South Carolina. Uh, appreciate you joining me, man. And uh, until uh, we talk again, um, you know, I, I look forward to it. And thanks for sitting down with me. It's been a lot of fun. So, thank you. Dude, I, uh, for, I I forgot you're on social media. Tell everybody where they can find you and all that sort of stuff. I didn't. Uh, so if you don't have enough followers and you want more, and I can get you one or two, then tell them that, and then I'll sign off. I'm at. Uh at Huntoon, H-U-N-T-O-O-N, J-M-S-C. That's my Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm active on Twitter, but as you know, BJ, I'm more active on Instagram. Yeah. You know, I, I do like to use the Instagram story, and um, that's really facilitated a lot of great relationships sure. for me and meeting a lot of new people, especially your – I would include you in that. Yep, so for sure. um, That's um, – if you really want to get the behind the scenes of Jim Huntoon, that's where to go. All right. Well, cool. We'll go check him out, people. Uh, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. We uh, He's got a lot of cool things going on, dealing with everything that we're all dealing with. But uh, it was an opportunity to sit down and uh, meet someone, and, and this created a great new relationship. So I appreciate it. So, Jim, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk soon. And until next time, everybody, that's it for the episode. I appreciate you listening. I'm B.J. Parker, and this is another episode of Making the Turn, and I'll talk to you soon.